Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Brooklet Games. Go to patreon.com backslash Brooklet Games for beautifully crafted content that provokes creative problem-solving and dramatic scenarios. Brooklyngames.com, find zines and more, patreon.com backslash Brooklet Games. Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I am your host, Logar the Barbarian, joined by returning guest, Chris Gonerman, author of Iron Falcon, Rules for Classic Fantasy Role-Playing. Welcome. Thank you, sir. So uh, I guess let's start. I'm going to bring up Basic Fantasy real quick, because if folks aren't familiar right off the bat with your name, you are the author of Basic Fantasy Role-Playing. They may be familiar with. We talked about that when you were on before, but you have another game out. You have a few new things out for that are available, and it is right. Uh, can you tell us about Iron Falcon rules for well? Okay, <laughs> and I'll, I'll I'm, I've got to be a little circumspect with this. You're familiar with the OGL rules that say I can't name the names of certain games in, yes. in, in concert. With <laughs> Iron Falcon rules for classic fantasy role playing or Iron Falcon RPG is aimed at the game as it might have been played in 1975 with the appearance of the first supplement for the original role-playing game system. Um, I can't be any more direct than that. Uh, my object was to rep replicate as much as possible the mechanics, the feel, the style of the game as it might have been. And I say might have been. In those early days, everybody's game was 95% house rules, and very few people knew what playing by the book meant, and rules as written was something no one even considered. Um, it was all being invented, and it was rather a chaotic time. But if you took the written version of the that very first game and took its first supplement and rolled them together and extended it enough, just enough, to make it complete, because there were pieces missing, that's Iron Falcon. I, uh, I'll i point out in particular, Iron Falcon uses descending AC. I know that's a contentious thing for a lot of people, but it does. Uh, it does not use Thacko. Thacko had not been invented yet. Uh, Thacko was at least a decade off for most for most people at that point. Um, it, we, you actually were expected to look at a chart to figure out if you hit the guy or not. So, yeah, so that, that's the game, basically. Up until recently, there's been one adventure book for Iron Falcon, uh, Iron Falcon Adventures 1. I'm not the most inventive title, what can I say? <laughs> Four adventures, two written entirely by me and two uh, written by other people or co-written with other people. My late friend Alan Jett wrote an adventure that I found out about only after he passed away. His widow gave it to me uh, and I asked permission to publish it and it's in Iron Falcon Adventures 1. Uh, it's a very traditional dungeon written by a very traditional guy, so... <laughs> um, but that's uh, that's where we were up until Black Friday of this year when I released two books. One I'd been teasing for three, four years with the Iron Falcon Handbook of Monsters. Now, my problem was after I wrote Iron Falcon and started writing adventures for it was the discovery that in 1975, monsters we think are traditional, we think are everywhere, have been with the game since the beginning, hadn't been invented yet. There were no shriekers. Can you imagine a game without <laughs> shriekers? And so I kept banging my head into that. And I would, I was pulling the monsters in as one-offs, one at a time. 
copying their statistics or the rules out of basic fantasy or from some other place and adapting them to Iron Falcon for the purpose. But it was tedious and annoying. And I realized Iron Falcon is not the only clone of the zero E era of the early era of role-playing. There are other clones out there. I can specifically mention delving deeper. I have an agreement with the, with those guys so that we can talk about each other's games. Um, Delving deeper is earlier. Delving deeper does not have that first supplement. Uh, it is uh, very much OE, but uh, that even makes it more limited in the sense of what monsters it did and did not include. And I thought, you know, what we need is we just need a book with all those, what we think are classic monsters, statted out for an OE level game like Iron Falcon. And that's the handbook. Um, I tried to make sure that for every monster, I either had every kind of monster that was in the old game, I either had that monster or I had something that would fill its ecological niche its hole in the dungeon uh, the spot that it was supposed to to fulfill as much as possible within the limits of product identity so that's what the handbook is i have very few collaborators on the handbook um there is just a couple of monsters in there that wouldn't be found uh in that early era very very little very very little added it's almost entirely just stuff that up to about 1981 or two would have been considered common monsters in the game. And if that was all there was to it, I'd be pretty proud of it. But I've been working on something else. I'm really curious about the other one because it's it's unlike anything I've seen yet. Is this the... Uh, Iron Falcon 75. Lakeside Adventures? The Lakeside Adventures, yes. Uh, yes. Um, Iron Falcon 75... I, you know, I don't I don't remember how I thought of it. It was not based on a certain Netflix TV show for anybody who has the idea <laughs> that that's where it came from. It wasn't. But I was, I don't know, I was inspired by a couple of other games that I kept trying to put together and, and never could. Just house rule stuff for, for my players, not stuff I planned on publishing. And I, I got to thinking about, you know, this is the game as it was or might have been in 1975. What if this is the world as it was in 1975? What if a few random people, maybe even gamers, discovered that there really were monsters and magic in the world? And that was the idea that led me to Iron Falcon 75. Once I got the idea, parts of it just appeared. Um, the, uh, the whole character creation system that's presented there. I'll stop at this point and mention for your listeners. I'm about to wander into spoiler territory. Oh, oh. spread spoilers all <laughs> over the screen. So if you are listening to this and you and you think you might be playing in an Iron Falcon 75 game, maybe come back later after you've played some. <laughs> We're a daily podcast, so come back tomorrow and listen to tomorrow's episode. And, there you go. Positive there radio. You go. <laughs> okay. The idea of, of the character creation, I was actually thinking about running it as a convention game, as a, a the intro part, as a convention game. And I remembered those, well, Goonies and movies like it that were popular in the 80s, the, the group of random kids who end up having some kind of an adventure. And I realized if I wanted to have a bunch of players that all came from the same place, player characters that all came from the same place so that they would know each other and we wouldn't have to deal with that whole, you meet in a bar. Yeah. I mean, seriously, do we want to do that in 1975? I don't I don't do that in my regular games. I have an aversion to it. <laughs> I have to admit I've done it more times than I care to admit. I did it a but, lot in the past and I, I kind of just said, okay, y'all have to tell me why you're together and how you're together. And I made well, the group. So for decide. so for this, for this, I, I came up with the idea of the archetypal characters, um, the fat kid, the poor kid, the weird kid 
the brainy kid. And then I added in the visiting kid and the popular kid as a couple of extras in case there were more than four players. Iron Falcon 75 really doesn't work very well without at least four players. Because you need somebody to fill every one of the four standard character class niches. But the players don't play as kids. Choosing the kid that they were leads to the adult they become. The fat kid gets loses weight, becomes buff, and turns into a jock. And, uh, and the brainy <laughs> kid grows up and becomes an accountant. How boring. And the poor kid ends up in jail and the weird kid turns into a priest or some other kind of cleric. The, the rules, I, I, I try to cover that. I have run this at conventions, I think three times, at least twice. It is a blast every time. The players immediately fall into the characters, even if they're young people who have no idea what it was like to live without a cell phone. They immediately just fall right into their characters and 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 become, you know, they fit right in. It, and it's it's wonderful how it works. Um, they behave like, you know, actual friends, even if in a convention game, the players don't even know each other. They they will they will follow the archetypes, you know, uh, of their characters and so forth. And I love it. I've also run it for two different real life groups, uh, my online group that I'm presently running and my in-person group, which I've just recently been able to get back into running with again. I'm not running Iron Falcon 75 right just right now with either of those groups, but I have run it extensively with both in the past, developing all of this. And it's it's amazing. I mean, that's all there is to it. Just watching watching how things you cannot get your players to do in a fantasy world. When it's a world that they can just barely imagine, all of a sudden they start doing them. They start behaving like people instead of caricatures. So I've got a couple questions about it. When I'm Go for it. I've looked through and now there's a there's a whole adventure through here um, in Iron Falcon 75. And is this intended to be just that adventure as as either one shot or campaign play, or, or is it kind of intended to lead you to do a longer campaign? Or how do you do you have any opinions well, on that? My intention for this, my intention for this is for it to be the beginning of something that goes on for an extended period of time. There's absolutely no reason why this couldn't be an ongoing campaign. There is not an overarching storyline. I don't like that. I don't like building whole worlds around an overarching storyline because it gets cumbersome to carry that around. I prefer for those storylines to appear on their own, and they will. They just do. But there are, there are basically, well, two dungeons, two different dungeons presented in the book. Um, the first is extensively play tested. The second is not tested as well as I'd like to, so I'm looking forward to some people commenting on it. And in between is the here's your deep spoiler territory the, the section called the sinister secrets of lakeside i tried to keep my tongue firmly in my cheek while designing some of these titles <laughs> where the the whole premise of iron Fox 75 is that there was magic up until some point in the middle ages there was magic everywhere there were wizards and there were monsters and whatever something happened in the in the adventure in the story it's given to the game master that those who didn't want to see magic go believe that an adversary did it but there's really nothing in there to prove that that's true something happened that drove magic out of the world and there were two different ways that that might happen a, a particularly large magical thing or area would simply disappear into a shadowy realm separated from the real world locked in time and and out of sight or Anything that was sufficiently close to an animal or a human in form would simply become human. 
So the elf kingdoms disappeared into shadow, as did the dwarven delves. But uh, the random individuals, the centaurs roaming the fields and uh, sylphs and uh, nymphs and so forth, living in the forest and so forth, just became human, some kind of human. And being suddenly human, they, those that survived the transition, integrated themselves into human society and have been forgotten. That was all made up. Nobody could possibly believe it. After all, it's all fictional. It's all mythological. But the beginning of the story in the adventure has magic returning to a limited area of a small Midwestern town. And over time, some of the natives who have ancient blood of various types begin to express monstrous appearance or nature. There are, and for example, um, there are dogs who turn out to have been descended from hellhounds. Oh. <laughs> and one day, all of a sudden, they are hellhounds. Those are those are my favorite, one of my favorite parts of this, actually. That's a man cool. proud of his uh, of his uh, um, uh, rare breed dogs walks them downtown every day. He doesn't live downtown, but he walks them downtown in the magic zone, not realizing that anything has changed. And one day they just turn into hellhounds. In one of the two games that I ran in, in, in person with this, when that happened, the hellhounds actually killed their owner before the players got to him. The players subdued the hellhounds, did not actually kill them, but subdued them, loaded them in the back of a pickup truck and hauled them out of town, thinking they were going to dispose of the bodies after they finished killing them. They turned back into dogs, lovely, pleasant, large, sweet dogs. Oh. And there was the damnedest conversation between the players. I think there was they were about in tears <laughs> over whether they should kill these dogs or not, whether the dogs were too dangerous to be allowed to live. They did eventually decide to kill them, but it was a point of contention between the players and between the characters that was far more realistic than anything I think I've ever seen in a fantasy game before. It felt real. It felt authentic. It felt, what's the word, immersive. Yes. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Let's put it that way. And I didn't have to do anything. I just sat back and let them talk it out. <laughs> that's the best kind of game there i like yeah. that when the players just kind of take control and you're sitting there observing as a dungeon master well and, <laughs> and, and without giving them too many more spoilers away there are several occasions in the storyline where they witness someone uh, a character that they've previously encountered as an npc and who have i explained to them you know this person you know you have you went to school with her you played sports with him something and then they turn into a monster the players don't just whip out their whatever weapons they may be carrying and start wailing on them. They have to think about it. You know, this is, this is somebody I've known for years, you know, what do I do? And it it's, it is, it's, it's been a very, very fun game to run as a game master. Well, I, there are a few things in here that, I, that I've, I've, I, I'm instantly drawn to because this is uh, rules as a very, I guess, a very early edition of the fantasy role playing game. Uh, and there's things in here that were not there in Iron Falcon 75, such as firearms. Right. And then you have some alternate stuff down there with like like some brawling rules and things that would be more applicable to modern. I had to I mean, I had to have rules for guns. Mm hmm. It's expressed in the in the book. There is a section of rules that you have to have. You have to be able to handle what happens when somebody takes a shotgun and shoots at a zombie because they're going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, how do you deal with modern weapons? 
and I provide uh, I provide rules for that. But of course, the game master is welcome to adjust them however he or she sees fit. But I had to provide something. The second part is uh, a set of rules that I thought worked together really well to make the game more enjoyable overall. One of the features of classic role-playing games and something that I have touted as a, as an advantage in the past is the fragility of the player characters. You take a bunch of first-level guys into a dungeon in a traditional game, in basic fantasy or, or standard Iron Falcon, you expect some of them are going to die. Unless you're just really good players or the game master is just really soft on you, some of those guys are not coming back. And that's normal. But the character generation for Iron Falcon 75, like a lot of modern games, it's a little more involved. It takes a little more to make a character. While you still want the possibility of death, you don't want them to die quite as quickly. You want them to live a little longer because that's that's what makes the game interesting in this case. The very fragility that is a core feature of the game, I offer rules to, to rearrange the way death works so that characters are a little tougher to begin with, but don't gain power as quickly, just to make them live a little better. And those rules are entirely optional. There's no reason the Game Master can't run the game perfectly well without them. It's just going to be a different game. Um, one of the things that, that might be popular, even if nothing else is, is the fact that I do provide ascending AC rules uh, in this in Iron Falcon 75 that will work pretty well with any version of Iron Falcon. So... I, I like the ascending AC and you use that in basic fantasy role playing game and a basic fantasy RPG. And I, I I'm a fan of ascending. That was one of the things I liked when they uh, introduced that in third edition. And that's, you know, I, I'm a, I would probably, I, I think just all the options here in iron Falcon 75 is worth having with iron Falcon itself. A, I think that the campaign and the adventures are cool and but also you know having all these extra rule sets here to add to iron falcon if you wanted to add it and tweak it because uh, lord knows i would add and tweak to every role-playing game i play <laughs> <laughs> well and and offering something that is not critical hits the the doubles and triples rule that is not critical hits but that has kind of the effect the same effect the idea that if you roll really well you might do extra damage mm -hmm. that was actually intended to make firearms behave more like firearms where most of the time you shoot somebody and he's unless he was already on death story he's probably not dead but occasionally you shoot somebody and he's just dead yeah and that's that was the doubles and triples rule was intended to to produce that as a possibility uh to make the weapons effectiveness you know ramp up but at the same time, it's not fixed to a number. It's not just a 20 that gets mm -hmm. you there. You have to do 10 points more than your target AC to get a double and another 10 points more to get a triple. And I had actually playtested that rule in another game and was pretty happy with it. So I, I felt safe putting it into Iron Falcon 75. In play, we haven't seen a lot of doubles and triples. It doesn't happen that often, but it has happened in a few very memorable occasions. So <laughs> it's kind of a fun rule. Uh, there's also an unarmored combat option as well, which is something that I've not seen a lot in the old school uh, that, game. Again, that, again, is a setting thing. The player characters should be encouraged to wear armor when they're in the dungeon. But how many times have you seen players that get into a fantasy city and will not take their armor off? Yeah. Whether they're in a bar, <laughs> 
whether they're they go to the bathhouse and maybe they take their armor off. I mean, seriously, <laughs> but there they go. They won't get out of their armor because they think they're too vulnerable. The unarmored combat option, uh, which I again, I've also play tested that in other games. It works pretty well for the player who's concerned about the lone assassin. But if you're going to face an army, you still want your armor on. Yeah, uh, and it's it 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 works well for that purpose for making the setting feel a little more natural and and not having everybody run around town in riot gear all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and that is it is very common. I actually like I had my uh, my barbarian in our game. We play Astonishing Swordsman and Sources of Hyperborea every Wednesday night. And for the longest time, I wanted him to be this Conan clone. He's running around this giant armor. It was only within the last year that I finally shed the armor and said, you know what? I'm just playing without the armor. It's okay. I will I will be able to handle it. I'm a barbarian. Yeah. I don't need it. Well, I tell you, there there, there are uh, this kind of a rule. I, I, I don't know if I should name names in this situation, but there is a game system out there that is not a class and level system where ordinary MOOC characters are really easy to kill unless they're wearing armor. Mm-hmm. But as characters gain in, it's not a level game, but as characters gain an ability, become more competent, their skills go up, they reach a point where armor is barely helping them anymore because mm -hmm. they're so much better at avoiding being killed on their own than they are wearing the armor. And I was kind of, that's kind of the thought I had in mind. I didn't steal a rule from that game, but I stole the idea, I guess, the concept that higher level characters should be able to fight without armor at least occasionally without being in serious danger of death yeah so could you tell us could you give me a little uh insight on the little hobby shop of doom oh i love that i love that <laughs> i love that um little hobby shop of doom is the beginning the first adventure the player characters uh, the players don't know what's going to happen they know they're playing characters in 1975 they know they're playing these four or so people that they have chosen uh, they've all all been handed a backstory that tells them what happened after they grew up and how they all ended up back at the hobby shop where they used to play games when they were kids and hey uncle frank was still there running the place and so forth but um something weird goes wrong um, they end up trapped in the hobby shop, unable to leave, and discover that there is a hole in the floor of the basement that leads down to a dungeon, and Uncle Frank is missing. That's the whole premise. That's the whole hook that brings people in. That's what I've run as a convention game. Convention game players have not always succeeded in rescuing Frank, oh, no. <laughs> unfortunately for Frank, but uh, that's the plan, is to rescue Frank from the dungeon and so forth. And then uh, that initial hobby shop adventure ends with the players literally putting a door over the hole and achieving separation that allows them to leave the hobby shop and go back to the normal world. But they can always open that door and go back into the dungeon. And, well, of course they do. They're not just going to leave the door shut. That's not going to happen. <laughs> and that is the event that also brings magic back. Um, I, I don't want to go... It's not just <laughs> spoilers. I don't want to go over too much rehashing. Get the book and read it. But, but that's the premise. Magic comes back suddenly. There's a dungeon in the basement, and we go from there. And 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 the book is not um, fifty dollars to get. <laughs> no, no. I it's it is. I'm actually making a little more off of that book than I am off the core rules, but not a lot. I'm 
yes, I sell Iron Falcon products at a profit as opposed to basic fantasy that makes almost nothing per book. I'm making three or four or five bucks a book off of these. Um, I could not make a business out of this at that level, and I don't intend to, but these are my work, um, by and large, mostly. Um, the stuff that I've included, the people that's provided, I've paid for, except for one guy that I still owe, but I can't track him down. Oh, um, yeah, I'll find him one of these days. <laughs> but uh, but that's it's you know this is I'm running this as a pocket sized commercial operation as opposed to a to an open source operation. Yeah, I do have plans for the future. Oh, I'd like about, to hear those. Okay, so you asked about was there anything past this? I have mm -hmm. two titles in my mind. One is called uh, Iron Falcon seventy five: The House on Mockingbird Hill. Oh, nice. But I can't write it. I can only do part of it. Oh, um, no. I am looking for a collaborator. This is what the problem is. This is a problem that becomes pretty obvious when you start to think about it. Um, classic fantasy role-playing games are largely built around um, European and maybe some Asian and African myths. Mm -hmm. but predominantly European mythology. This is predominantly stuff that goes back to my pasty white heritage. Yeah. Um, going back there mostly but obviously these games are set well at least i'm setting them in the united states because that's where i live and that's the world i understand mm -hmm. the modern age that i can actually feel real about but there were people here before we were here there was presumably magic here before we were here mm -hmm. and i need i need a collaborator i need somebody preferably well somebody with native american heritage preferably mm -hmm. somebody with lakota heritage and some fairly decent grasp of the culture i am still looking for a collaborator so anybody out there who is native american who is interested in role-playing games and who finds iron falcon 75 an interesting idea drop me a line i'd be i'd love to hear from you um don't have to produce that book if i never get the collaborator that i need can't find somebody i can work with or that can work with me because that's probably not the easiest thing in the world <laughs> there's another um it's called the lost kingdom the Lost Kingdom is a fully immersion fantasy world, but the players walking in are walking in from 1975 with whatever ammo they can carry on their backs and whatever, you know, modern conveniences they can figure out how to make work. It's uh, uh, and somebody made a comment that Iron Falcon 75 allows both the visiting another world version of the modern fantasy and the magic in the real world version of the modern fantasy. It, you can do both, a, more or less at the same time or an alternation. There are places that players can go where they can transition into a world that's entirely fantasy. And there are um, places in the real world where fantasy things are going to just pop up on you. I have dealt with situations where they used a pickup truck to chase a um, minotaur down a street. <laughs> I mean, you know, like it, that. Happens. Uh, it happens. It um, happens. In uh, interesting things like that, that 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 come around from time to time in the game. That I I just I always love when a situation happens in a game that if you say it out loud sounds crazy, but when it pops up in the game, the players take it utterly seriously. Oh yeah, that's all because it's not... real to them. Real <laughs> oh no to them. doubt, yeah, that's good. The years ago when uh, when I was running a very different game and the players in a uh, uh, Bayside, Bayside city in, uh, in uh, 1939 are discussing how to breach the Martians armor. 
<laughs> utterly, utterly seriously. Um, I love that stuff. That's my kind of that's my kind of game. So yeah, and that's and that happens in Iron Falcon seventy five. So now those two are the ones that I've got planned. Mm-hmm. Another yeah. guy on the forum brought up an idea that we're just beginning to form. It seems that there's a certain university where um, they have a wargaming club. Nineteen seventy five got a wargaming club. And this uh, this young woman with long, dark hair shows up and joins the club for a little while. But she keeps telling people about this great game that's so much more fun. And she draws several of the members off and they go off to play her game and she kind of drops out of the group. But, you know, everybody kind of forgets about her, at least until one of her me- one of her group members turns up dead. Oh, no. Poisoned. No apparent way that the poison was administered, but this girl is dead and uh, something weird is happening. And an old professor, Dr. Elliot, uh, calls together some of the Wargaming Club members and says that there's something going on in the steam tunnels below the university, and they need to look into it. It is it is a cross between the heavily fictionalized story that's behind the Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons group. <laughs> yes. And the equally bizarrely fictional story from Jack Chick's track. <laughs> and i i've said two names there i probably shouldn't have said but i'm oh, gonna no. tell you right now we're filing all the serial numbers off <laughs> there's nothing in there that 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 couldn't have been thought up you know that would fit you know that's that's the idea anyway i'm not really sure that we have well i know we don't have all the details nailed down yet but there's a couple guys uh, on the forum that are discussing it and it might happen there's room for a lot of more stuff in Iron Falcon 75, a lot more adventures, um, a lot more things could happen. And it's entirely possible to use some, at least, of the traditional adventures as Iron Falcon 75 adventures. Who wouldn't want to walk into some of those classic games packing a shotgun, uh, right. carbide lantern, and uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. useful stuff like that? Go 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 back to some of those old those old school original AD or original Dungeons and Dragons modules and stuff and 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 lug your shotgun around. <laughs> well, yeah, why not? Why not? And I mean, the some of the stuff in the Iron Falcon Adventures one book would work just fine. Um, there's no reason why the Dungeon of Kairos couldn't be used as a a similar kind of a drop in dungeon to the uh, to the Hobby Shop dungeon, um, well, for example. Yeah, I've got. Uh, we're coming close to time, and I've got. I've got what at least one one more thing that. I, well, I got two more things I want to ask you about. No, I'll try uh, to answer cl- quicker than last time. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, you have quite a community around the games you've been putting out, and I I think it's a, a positive thing that you've done for quite a while. Uh, your approach to when you put up Basic Fantasy and Iron Falcon, they are at a price point that's affordable, and uh. Uh, and uh, a lot of those books were put out online that people can go out and get for for free and so they can get started playing. So it's not, you know, uh, monetizing things as much as a lot of folks have done in the past. I'd like you to talk to a bit about just real quick to some of the ideas behind there that you've expressed even here in the past uh, around the community and your kind of your ideas behind these games and what you've done real quick. The biggest success, <laughs> the biggest success of the basic fantasy RPG is the basic fantasy project. It's the community that I built around the game. And I say I, like I was responsible for that. And that's nonsense. These people just showed up and they they took what I was writing, what I was developing, and they jumped in and they helped. There are so many contributors to the core rules just there. 
Um, so many people have written adventures. Uh, I think I may have told the joke on your podcast before that I created the game so I could get people to write adventures for me. <laughs> I do. Uh, I think you but did. <laughs> it, but it, it, it works. I mean, there are so many adventures. I, I don't lack for materials for my, uh, for my own games. And it's wonderful. Nobody else set out to create a community. There are many other OSR games. And some of them have communities. But the communities... And I don't want to denigrate anybody, but I feel like the communities in most of those cases are an afterthought. They weren't what the people designing the game were thinking about when they designed it. I planned for a community from the very beginning. I've always wanted people to be involved in this. I've always wanted to share. I've mentioned I've got a blog post about how hard it is to share, mm -hmm. but it's worth it. Yes. Uh, and that's all I can say. Now, as far as Iron Falcon goes, yeah, I had ideas for stuff that I was going to put a lot of effort into. Iron Falcon rules itself is almost entirely my work. And I felt like maybe I should be able to make a little money off of it. I don't make much. It's never going to replace my day job. But I want to make enough off of it to be able to afford to pay for artwork to get, you know, decent art in there. We're working on that. There will be there will be an art art updated release of the core rules and probably of the handbook by next Christmas. Oh, cool. That's a, that's an intention. I definitely the rules and sometime before then, and maybe the handbook by then. So that's, those are things that I have planned. Excellent. But I'm a, I'm not a Kickstarter. I'm a bootstrapper. <laughs> so the money has to be here before, before I'll pay for art and I have to make a thing before I'll take money for it. So there you go. That's great. I, I'm excited. To, I'm excited to see the art update uh, of it. I, that is cool. I, I did not realize that was coming. Could you tell the listeners where they can pick up Iron Falcon, where they can find you online, where they can check out the community you have around your games and all of that? Iron Falcon RPG materials are available from ironfalconrpg.com. There are links there that go to the downloads of the things I have for free. Eventually, the handbook and Iron Falcon 75 PDFs will be free, but not for a few months. Mm -hmm. But everything else is already free out there. There's also links to all the places you can buy them through DriveThruRPG. Well, eventually, some of it through Lulu and through Amazon. Everything on Amazon, everything on Lulu. DriveThru is so slow to get stuff out, but I'm trying to get it out there. For Basic Fantasy, you go to basicfantasy.org. Go to our website. Go to our forum. There's a link on every page that goes to the uh, to the page that'll tell you where you can buy everything. And there's a link for the downloads page everywhere that'll tell you where you can download everything. Basic Fantasy RPG holds nothing back. Everything we have in print is available for free in PDF. Um, it is entirely a community project and people are welcome to join in. Excellent. Excellent. It's been great getting you back on. I want to thank you so much for coming back and talking to us. Well, it's been great getting to talk to you again, sir. <laughs> thank you. Appreciate it. Oh, I, I appreciate you coming on. I'm a big fan of what you're doing. If you've enjoyed what you've heard here today, give us a positive review wherever you're listening. You can find us on Facebook. Search Wobblies and Wizards. Wobbliesandwizards.com is our blog. We're on Twitter for now and TikTok now. I'm on there at least at Logar Hale Crom. We're on Patreon. We can really use any support to keep this going. Patreon.com backslash Wobblies and Wizards. And as always, keep those dice rolling.